Good evening. Good to see you all. Love your smiles as usual. How are we doing? Are we hanging in there midweek? Yeah. Tired week already? Are you guys hanging in there? Making it? All right. I'm trying to get the temperature of the water, man. I'm just trying to, trying to get the temperature of the water. Well, I'm really excited tonight because we're starting a new book, right? And what I've been so looking forward to this because it's crossing over the, the Jordan for these guys, right? So we finished the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible, and we're moving into the book of Joshua. So why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Joshua? I get to say that for the first time with you all. Uh, the book of Joshua. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one of the ushers will bring you a Bible. Everybody good? So this is the first book that we've come this far actually named after an indiv- individual, This is the first book we've had named after an individual up to this point. It's named after situations or, uh, you know, deliverance, exodus, different things like that. But now we're finally up to a book about Joshua, uh, who obviously his name, Hoshea, means salvation, salvation. Uh, Later on, Moses will change that, and his name will eventually mean Yahweh salvation or Joshua, which means God saves, God salvation, and that's exactly what that means. So slightly different from his slave name that he was given of salvation. And when you look at this and how we've transitioned, the death of Moses is really what begins this transition from Deuteronomy to Joshua. It's really at the end of Deuteronomy that the Israelites are camped in the plains of Moab. So they're still at Moab. They're not too far, not you know miles from looking across. In, in some three days, they're going to make their way across this. I want you to think about that for 40 years They've been wandering and so desperately looking forward. Really, only two people have any inclination uh, besides Moses. Moses is dead at this point, as we've read. And so when you think about it, there's only really two people that have any inclination what has happened through all this miraculous moving of God. And really, one of them, because obviously Joshua is older than Caleb, right? So Joshua is probably somewhere minimally, he has to be minimally 85 years old, right? 85 years old. So he's somewhere in there. Uh, Some suggest 90, 95, some say even 100, you know? And this is important because where did we find Joshua? Do you remember? We found Joshua in our reading in the book of He He was a slave. He was a slave. I want you to think about what Joshua experienced. As he heard about the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He was a slave with the other Israelites. He was making bricks. He probably came home. Now, granted, he was young. He would have been 10 to 15 years old, okay? But his daddy, when his daddy came home from work, right, he would have walked through the door and he would have saw the sweat on his dad's brow as they were in Goshen. Remember, that's where they had settled. They were in Goshen at that point. And the Egyptian pharaoh sent them there because shepherds were considered unclean, dirty, foul that way, and he didn't want them necessarily dwelling with them. So they gave him this beautiful choice piece of land. You start to fast forward and you, you look at Moses was there for the plagues. I thought of, you know, Moses, and or sorry, Joshua I meant to say was there for the plagues. I think of Joshua when, you know, that night when the blood on the doorposts, Joshua saw that with his eyes. He saw his mom or dad, dad more likely, put the blood up on the post saying, we're going to pray, and God specifically delivered him. He's a witness to it. He's one of the children that are alive, because where are all the other children? They're all dead in the wilderness. Only Caleb. 
Then he crossed over with the parting of the Red Sea. He saw that, how magnificent that was. Just, you know, you wonder, Hoshea, right? Salvation. His parents knew, how did they know to name him that? And then later on, Moses changing the name to Yahweh, right? Joshua, our Greek name, Jesus. God's salvation. It's, it's just amazing when you think about that. And I'm sure he thought about Moses because he was a servant to Moses, right? He was his assistant. He was up there on the mountain when he walked up and he heard God speak. He was up there. He wasn't all the way at the top, but he was almost near the top. He had seen that when he starts coming down after receiving the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and all the other things that were appointed, he was the pattern for the tabernacle. He was walking down. He was talking to Moses. He heard the first sounds of ill worship. When Aaron was down making a molten calf, and remember Moses turned, what is that noise? What is that racket? Who did he say that to? Joshua. And Joshua heard that. And he said, I think they're fighting in the camp. And Moses, no, that's not fighting. And he begins to tell him what it is. And then shortly thereafter, he, he's a spy. He's now a spy. He's one of the 12. He's sent out as a spy. He's going to go in and spy out the whole land. And as he's sent to spy out the land, him and one other brother come back, Caleb, and tell the good report. I want you to think about that. They had such faith. Look, God's given us this land. We're going to go and possess it. Why wouldn't we go in and possess the land God's given us? A beautiful, simple faith Joshua had. And then they, you know, we know what happens. They they don't believe. They go through. And then Joshua, he has no idea. Again, he's assistant. He doesn't know he's going to be an under-shepherd one day. He, He never would have thought of that. But God was using every one of these experiences that Joshua had, even witnessing the failings of Moses. When Moses turned around and Joshua was there, when Moses did what? Struck the rock twice, which we know in 1 Corinthians, that rock was Jesus. And he witnessed it. And he saw Moses' broken heart when God told him he wouldn't go into the promised land. And then when when Moses would meet at the tabernacle and and Joshua was there, he was able to come up to that point to not go into the Holy of Holies, but he was was able to come up to that that first area and he he would see it. And then later on only to find out that God goes to Moses and says, Moses, you're gonna die. Within one year, right, his sister Miriam dies. Aaron dies, his brother, four years, three, three to four years older than him. And, and now Moses, and Joshua sees that too. And he hears that, and he, he starts to, I don't know, maybe does he even understand? He says, I want you to start assigning Mo, um, Joshua some tasks. I want, you, I want you to give him some things to do. And Joshua's probably going, I'm, I'm not the guy. I don't know how to do any of this. I'm a slave boy. I don't, I don't, I don't have a rod, man. I, I didn't pray and manna came out. I didn't strike a rock and make water. Who am I? Did you ever think about that? And then, and then he finds out that the mantle's going to be passed to him. And it's right about that time we see God say 
Joshua, be of good courage. What do you think about that? Does God ever waste his words? Never. He knew exactly what Joshua needs. Seven times he'll say that. We're going to continue in the book of Joshua, Joshua 1.9. We'll see it, we'll see it throughout the... And, and you know what's cool? We'll see it in Hebrews because it's a word for you and I today, the church. He speaks to us in that way. Well, Moses, again, not able to enter the promised land, Numbers chapter 20. Joshua, the mantle's being passed. Probably thinking, you know, here's the lawgiver. You know, God gave the law to Moses, and he can't enter the, enter the promised land. And here I am, Joshua, and the Greek Jesus, and I'm the one that's going to bring him in. It's Jesus that always brings us into heaven, into the promised land, into the things that await us. And this is really where the book of Joshua resumes, when you think about it. Now, the dating of the Exodus, do you remember? It's somewhere around 1446, right? We talked about that a few years back, around 1446. How long did they wander? Some 38 to 40 years. So it's somewhere around 1400 B.C., okay? Um, the book of Joshua, there's an outline, I think. I don't know if we put them on the back table. They're in the back here. They're in the lobby. Before you leave, grab them. We did an outline for the book as well as a summary, an introduction to the book of Joshua. It's really broken up into two main areas, two main sections, okay? The first half, or I don't want to say half, but the first section, if you will, really goes into the conquest of the land. All those other things I just mentioned, he's also going to be a general. You just think about that for a minute, right? And an under-shepherd. So that's the first half. And then the latter half is broken up into really the description of the the recording of the division of land for the 12 tribes. And that's miraculous. Do you remember last we left off in Deuteronomy? Some 50 years in the future, God had showed Moses what that division of the land would be like. And as we read it, it's spot on perfect. Of course it is. It's the word of God. But it's amazing to see it. A survey of the conquest and a record of the division. That's really how this book breaks up. Now, the Hebrew Bible lists the book um, as the former prophets. Today, we understand it in, in, in our canon. This is the historical books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st Kings, 2nd Kings, 1st Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, right? That these make up in our uh, canon the historical books. But if you go to the Hebrew text, it was really brought up, broken up sort of into two. It was, it was the former prophets, and then what some even call it the latter prophets. It was also broken up into that way, or the writings, okay? Now, we'll read in Joshua chapter 24, verse 29, he will die at 110 years old. So, you know, again, if you take it more to the extreme end, you know, he was 100. That means he was in this conquest for 10 years. Seven years we know that there is an, a military, um, you know, campaigns happening because Gad, Reuben, right, and half the tribe of Manasseh, right, if they're not going to come, they're going to come over, but they're going to go back, and they don't go back for seven years. So we know at least the military campaign had to be seven years long. He's going to, for most of his time, 
he's going to be involved in military conquests as a general into this land that he's going to go in and take as God has commanded him. Just, just think about that. Um, I've often thought about that because a lot of times, you know, we, we got saved, and that's beautiful, and then sanctification begins, and it's a process, and it's suffering, and it's, it's emptying of ourselves, and it's, it's not comfortable, and sometimes we wonder how much more can we, can we take? Or, and I think Joshua is a wonderful example for us. Then when we're led by God, what can't we do? Now, Joshua certainly didn't have a perfect life. Some scholars will say he's one of the few people in the entire Bible that really didn't have major fault. But if you really read Scripture, I mean, I, we're not gonna, I'm not going to pick on Joshua, certainly, but you can look at, you know, Gibeonites. You can think about just, uh, I think there's two things in particular where AI, where he was going to go in and he didn't wait for the Lord to tell him to go. And so he stepped in on his own and he went to battle because he thought it was the right thing to do, but he had got a step ahead of the Lord. And then the other thing with the, I think it's the Gibeonites, if I'm not mistaken, he turns around and he, um, he is, you know, he made a pact or a covenant with them that he would let them exist in the land, which eventually sows the undercurrent for the Canaanite people to stay in that land in enclaves that later on will attack Israel as part of that Assyrian invasion and that will destroy them because he wasn't faithful to follow all that God had said. It was all of the Canaanites and the ites were supposed to be taken out. And we'll get to that uh, here. But he was born in Egypt, as I mentioned, Exodus chapter 33, 11. You know, in... Uh, Numbers 13.8, we know his name is Oshia. Um, he was, like I said, there at Exodus 24.13 when Moses received the law. At the 10 of meeting, he was a guardian. You know, Numbers 13.8, he was sent out as a spy. All the things I mentioned, I kind of made a note. I said he was a slave, he was a servant, he was a spy, he was a guardian, he was a general, and he was an under-shepherd. Quite a life. Quite a life he lived. Many of us will never have all of these experiences that Joshua did. You know, this faithful military general. He, he sets up his, you know, base, if I can say it that way, in Gilgal. And as he sets it up in Gilgal, it's, it's amazing. Military colleges, war colleges have studied this book in the way that Joshua had set up his military strategy because here he comes in and as he sets up in Gilgal, he begins his conquest in the south right? And he'll eventually move north. And, and the way he did that, and, oh, what strategy? No, no, it wasn't Joshua. It was God. God is the one that gave him the land. God was the one that, you know, defeated the enemies. But when you look at it from a, the outside or a perspective, you can't help but be amazed as you read these pages, as you read these verses, to see all that God did. Um, it's, it's quite amazing. The word land in the book of Joshua is used 87 times. It records Israel's entering, its conquering, and its possessing of the promised land that was supposed to be given as the covenant to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. So now we're going to actually turn to the word of God in Joshua. Now that I gave you an introduction and you have good context on this man, what a character study, right? Who he is, you know. 
the very first thing that we see in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, in many of our Bibles, the New King James or King James, after the death, but if you look in the original Hebrew text, it actually is and. There's an and inserted there. And why that's important is because it basically takes Deuteronomy and then it begins to connect the book of Joshua with it as a next step. This is what happened. And a conjunction. It goes on, right? It's, it's continuing on. And we read, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Now, this may seem like not a big deal, right? But scholars have gone back and timed this, and we believe it was somewhere, you know, in the spring. Now, whether we know that to be true or not, we, we don't know. If it was in the spring, and you go over to Israel in the spring, you know that the Jordan is what? It's muddy. It's very muddy. It's got mud all around. You literally step and you're sticking. It's not wide. It's, it's, you know, it's recessed. Now, granted, today they use a lot of the water for irrigation, so you're not getting a true, you know, thousands of years ago of how it would have been. But had they actually gone and had this been in the fall or in a different time, which many scholars do believe as well, this would have been flooded. That means that as he's going to cross over the Jordan, you're talking a quarter of a mile wide. Okay, this wasn't like tippy-toe across the little stream. And the depth of the Jordan. This wasn't a simple thing. Wait a minute, you want us to take the tabernacle, all the implements, everything we have, our children, two to three million people, and you want us to wade over the Jordan River. How many people here would want to grab a, a raft or something if you had to cross the Susquehanna right now? I don't think there's anybody in here that says, you know what, I'm going to just walk it, man. <laughs> right? It, it, but but I'm, I'm making it, this is what it's saying. But if you don't know the context, if you don't think about it in the time of year, it seems like, well, he's just, he's just going to cross over the Jordan. But it wasn't, it was a step of faith. It was another step of faith. And that's exactly what we learned through the book of Joshua. It's one step of faith after another. So many times God will, will give a nudging or an inclination. He doesn't see it. All he's told is you need to go in. Here's a battle. I'm going to, I mean, think about it. The very first battle, he's, the, the thing he's going to do, he's going to go in and, and he's going to Jericho, right? The walls. Now, I want you to understand, he's got probably, what, 650,000 age 20 and older soldiers that could go in and fight this campaign? Meanwhile, God says, no, you're going to take seven priests and you're going to take your people and you're going to walk around this thing seven times and on the seventh day or one time and on the seventh day, seven times, and then you're going to blow a, you know, a horn or a trumpet. The walls are all going to fall and it's all going to be good. I mean, what would you want to do? Well, we got 620,000 guys right here that are ready to go, man. It was steps of faith through this whole book. And the only times Moses gets it wrong is when he doesn't go to God and wait on him. When he tries to take matters into his own hands. I don't know about you. I, 
I'm, I'm like, insert the name Joshua, right? You know, with any of our names, my name. In those moments of where, you know, do you get ahead of God? Lord, I know I've heard you, but, but how do you want me to do this? It, it just, it really hits home. Because our lives are just like that, aren't they? They're steps of faith. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what's around the bend, do we? We know God is coming soon, amen? But other than that, we, we, we know, you know, Ezekiel 38, yes, we know something. But, but we, don't, you don't, we don't know if we have tomorrow. And he tells us, Jesus tells us, don't worry about tomorrow. For today has its own cares. Just think about it. The way we live our lives. They didn't have cell phones, right? They didn't have computers. They didn't have the internet. How many of us can remember growing up with a party line? You know, I can remember a party line. You pick up the phone and, and, and you know, somebody on your block is on there. And you got to wait till they're off. So you can call your girlfriend or your boyfriend, whatever you did, right? I mean, there's so many things in front of us that if somebody wasn't with us, and you, you know your children or maybe your grandchildren, maybe you sit them on your lap and you start to tell them, you know, besides the it was snowing both ways uphill and all that nonsense, besides those stories, when you sit down and you start to tell them, you know, when I grew up and this, and you start explaining things, and how things were, they can understand some of it, but they miss a whole lot of it, don't they? Because they weren't alive. They weren't there. This is real history. And the book of Joshua isn't just history. It's also prophetic. It's also prophetic. And so I just, if we can do, if, as we're going through this book, I want us to put that helmet on and, and, and have that spiritual 2020 to go back and look at these things from Joshua's perspective, to look at these things from the Israelites' perspective, to look at these things and understand how he was communicating with God and so dependent and relying upon God. Not an inch of independence, as a matter of fact. Never felt qualified. Does anybody in here ever feel that you're unqualified or you haven't arrived or you're not good enough? Or I mean, that's Joshua's M.O., I mean, this isn't a guy that, like I said, he didn't have the education Moses had growing up in the palace and learning from the greats of the, you know, all of the history. He didn't have any of that. He was a, he grew up with his dad. He's a brick maker. He didn't, he didn't know anything else. He, he didn't get trained as a general and God is going to use him as one of the greatest generals we'll read in all of the Bible. He says, now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. Moses' eyes, or Joshua's eyes, oh, you and all this people to the land which I'm giving them, to the children of Israel. Every place that your sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, the Med, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now, again, Joshua's not a, uh, you know, he, he's not some great military hero at this point. 
What's the first thing that you think about? Some of you have been in the military or just even without any military experience. If you're going to go in a land filled with idolatrous people, Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and the ites, and you're walking in and you're being told that you're going to take over that land, that you're going to remove them from that land, God's going to do it by force, then what are you going to do? You have to occupy. You occupy what you just conquered or took over or moved in. I want you to think about this. He knew that the division of the land, that's why the latter half of this book or the second half is all about the division of the 12 tribes because that's so important for occupation and how they're going to move into this land and keep the land or the plan is to keep the land, right? And God's using this man who has no experience No experience with any of this. If there's anybody here tonight saying, I don't feel qualified to do what I'm doing, you are in a great place because you are dependent on God, not in, you know, not dependent on yourself. That's where Joshua found himself. So he says, Toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That meant a lot to him because he saw how Moses had such an intimate relationship. He says, God, show me your glory. Have you prayed that? Show me your glory, God. The intimacy he had with God is the idiom in the Hebrew, the face-to-face He says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Turn in your Bible. Hold your finger here. Turn in your Bible to the book of Hebrews, please. I'd invite you to turn to chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Paul, I, you know, we don't really know who the author of Hebrews was. I, I, I subscribe it was Paul from many of the texts and how it's written, but, you know, each to their own. We really don't know, but I, I believe the Apostle Paul wrote it. Look, look at verse 5, what Paul would, as he was sort of ending his, his time with the, the, basically, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, it's, it's a book written to Jewish Christians that were considering abandoning the faith and going back to Judaism. They, they were lacking hope, and they needed hope and encouragement to stay the course within Christianity and not to go back to their Jewish or Jude, you know, the, the Jewish elements of the law. And so in, he's kind of giving them a, a sort of a swan song. Now, certainly Second Timothy's a swan song when we really look at that, but, but sort of an ending with them. He says, let your conduct, verse 5, be without covetousness, be, you know, be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will leave you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul, or the author of Hebrews, went back and what he did through the direct revelation of Jesus Christ in the writing of this He told us that he put us under that same part of the covenant, that same commitment, that he, that same promise that he made to Israel, that he says, I will never what? Leave you nor forsake you, that he's saying that to the church today, too. The 
You and I, believers in Christ, he said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just as he had promised that to, to Israel. That's a covenant, new covenant promise for us as believers. Right? So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Isn't that interesting? What can man do to me? Again, how many times is Joshua going to say, well, he won't say necessarily, but how many times will God say to him, do not, you know, be afraid or have I commanded you, do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. So it's, it's wonderful. It's a promise for us. Be strong and of good courage, verse 6, back in Joshua. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land, that's the second half, we've talked about that, which I swore to their fathers to give them. He says it again, only, Joshua, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do. He says this twice. He says it here in verse 7. He'll say it again in verse 8, that you are to do according to the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it, from the right hand or from the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. What is he talking about? He's saying the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Some scholars have come back later recently in the last hundred years as they're trying to publish you know, some research material. Well, I, you know, this was probably written just, uh, you know, sometime, you know, a couple hundred years before Jesus Christ was on the scene. This was probably, we have no reason to believe anything contrary to them. As a matter of fact, you can go back and there are manuscripts that are dated and that carbon dated, that we can go back and find the original text that we're reading in the book of Joshua. There's no way this was written a couple hundred years. This was written right at the time, talking about the Pentateuch, the, the first five books. There's no way that wasn't written, and it was by Moses. Maybe Joshua, the last chapter, if you will, his death, maybe he did that, or maybe Moses wrote it himself because he, God had already proclaimed what was going to happen to him. We, we don't know, but the reality is we have, there's no reason we shouldn't think or understand in Scripture that this wasn't written by Joshua, nor why that he wouldn't go in with the whole Pentateuch, that he would have been able to follow, because they were supposed to take the, the written law and they were supposed to put it where? In the tabernacle of meeting, right? They were going to put it specifically in that tabernacle, right? Eventually manna, the tabernacle, and the rod of Aaron. That's, that's all we know ends up in there. So it's in there, the word of God. That's what it's talking about. Right? It was originally the law, but it was the word of God. So he's saying, look, he says, My servant commands you, do not turn to the left or to the right, or to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. That's what happens when you read the book. That's what happens when you read the Bible. It prospers your life. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it or in it, day and night, that you may observe. He says it there and again, to do. We're not only to be hearers, but doers of the word, according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your ways prosperous, and you will have good success. Please turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Look at verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, one book back to your left. Therefore you shall lay up in these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. This was commanded. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on your doorposts and on your house and on your gates. You know, I don't know about you, when I got saved, one of the first things I started doing in the house, well, it took years, you know, but what I started to do is I started to take and we'd go out and we would look for scripture written and we'd put them up all around the house. And, you know, not because we were under the law to do that, but because I wanted the word of God everywhere I was. I wanted to look around and when I look to my right, I want the word of God. When I look to my left, I want the word of God. I want it everywhere. I want it to be written on the frontlets, right? I want it in my heart. You know, they can take a lot of things from me, but they can never take the word of God that's written on the tablet of my heart. No matter what happens, I will always have his word, and his word is everlasting. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, the days that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of heavens above the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. That was a conditional promise, but he was saying that when you take the word of God and you don't turn around and flirt with evil or pagan idolatry and you honor the word of God, that God was going to do what? He was going to take and, and beat and overcome these other pagan nations. Why? Because he was being mean to them or he was showing some type of uh, lack of grace? No, because if we know our church history or our biblical history, how many years they all got off the boat together with Noah, and they all spread out and dispersed. And they had begun to do what was right, their pagan idolatry worship. And God was long-suffering in judgment. Think about how long it was from when Noah, the families dispersed and spread out, and then to the time that now, even through the wilderness wanderings of 40 years, that God will now bring judgment that was well, as we would say, long overdue. But our God is a God of love and a God of grace, and he gave every opportunity for these pagan, you know, people to turn around and repent from their sin and come back to the living God. It wasn't that they didn't know. They perverted God's worship. They made things with their own hands and chose to worship those things rather than the living God of the universe. And so we read that there. Look, look in your Bibles at Nehemiah. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Look at verse 3. Nehemiah chapter 8. Look at verse 3. He says, Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and women, or those who could understand in the ears of all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. This is speaking of when Ezra came back in, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 3. If you remember, he came back in, Nehemiah wanted, you know, was a cupbearer for the king, the Persian king like that. And he would turn around and he would come back in and he would rebuild the wall. And as part of that, he would go through and 
you know, he's got one hand on the sword and the other hand on the trowel as he's repairing the, you know, and he was a governor and he was riding around and watching all that they were doing, such great faith. He was so lost for his people, such a heart. And what do we see? He says when that they were in front of the open square in the Watergate from morning to midday. I want you to think about that. We, we laugh at church. You know, if, 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 the, if the pastor goes more than an hour in the sermon, we're like, what's going on, right? You know, they, read, they literally stood there for the entire law to be all five books. Doesn't that sound wonderful? That sounds wonderful to me. The word of God was going forward. And what did it say? All the people's, what, were attentive to the book of the law, to the word of God. They were listening. They so desperately wanted that. Look at Job chapter 23, verse 12. Job chapter 23, verse 12. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Give us this day our daily bread. The word of God, far before the substance of food. I'll read a couple more to you. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Not just reading the word of God, but slowing down enough to actually think about it. I will contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. There are mornings where, look, I, like all of us, you know, we're spending time in the word, we're reading through it, and then there's times where we spend time in the word, we read through it, but what do we do? We slow down and we really let it change us. It marinates our hearts. It softens things. It calibrates our minds. We see things right. Many times I weep or I begin to break down because, you know, I start to realize, Lord, and there's sweet times. I, I don't walk away going, Lord, why did you two by four me in the head? I, I walk away thanking him because I had such intimacy and sweet time, and I can't rush that. I can't I can't make that happen. Some of you, you, you know what I mean? You, you got to go to work or you're, and you just, ah, oh, you just don't want to go. You just want to stay in the word of God because he's met with you at that moment. And, you, and it's unbelievable because you're seeing things. He's showing you things. He's loving you. His arm is wrapped around you. He's holding you tight. And you know, at that moment, everything's okay. It doesn't matter what's going around in your circumstances. It doesn't matter, you know, what's going on in family. It doesn't matter what's going on with parents. It, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the job. Nothing else matters at that moment because you are in the very presence of God. His word is bearing witness to who he is, his love, his unconditional love for you. And you just get to take it in and rest in it. And, and, and I don't care who you are. It brings you to tears. It wrecks you in that moment. Because you just met with the living God and the God of the universe just literally came into your, you know, into your face, face to face like that is an idiom. Look at Psalm 119, 105. 
He says, I will not forget your word. Look at this. You know this one. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have that one on my wall. I look at that often. I think about it. I think about the light and I, I think about a lamp. And I think about how if I go to the right and the light's in front of me, Jesus, and I go just to the right a little bit, I get shadows and all of a sudden things become gray. And when I start to see things gray, that's not good. There's no reason I have the word of God. It's illuminated. There's no reason I have to look at anything dull, you know, or gray. I can see it beautifully before me. I don't want to accept anything else, right? I only want the word of God. I'm not interested in man's opinion. I want God to tell me how to think. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Many times you'll hear me say it's the fullness of what? Truth and the fullness of love. It's Psalm 138, too. That I've, the Lord showed me that a long time ago. And praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above what? Above any name, his name. His word is actually lifted above his name. Proverbs chapter 3. Look at Proverbs chapter 3 with me, please. Verses 1 and 2. My son, allow me to enter this. My daughter, my son, my daughter, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments for long or length of days and long life, and peace they will add to you. Did you ever notice that? When you, re- when you read the word of God and you're meeting with you, you walk away peaced out. I walk away peaced out, man. I'm, I'm done. I'm undone. It's wonderful. Romans, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We know this. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That, that just describes how it works, you know. Well, I don't know what to do. Sometimes some of you or other folks, they'll come in for counseling. Some of you have been in with me for counseling, many of you actually, and I want you to think about it. What is the thing that I do that, that, that we, we, we have a Bible? We don't just stack them up, right, and play like Jenga, right? You know, what do we do? I opened up the Bible, and, and many times if you, you see me sitting there, right, or I'm, I'm like, I might look like I'm, maybe I'm tuned out for a minute or something when you're sitting there with me, but you know what I'm doing? I'm I'm asking the Holy Spirit to show me in the Word of God that directly what relates to your situation at that moment. Because I'm nothing, and I know I'm nothing. And I know I don't have an original idea. I, I just know that. And I know that I have the Word of God, and, and my job is simply to redirect somebody back to the Word of God and let Jesus minister to that individual. And there's a whole lot of people that you can spend a lot of money paying to help you. There's a whole lot of people that have strong opinions about a whole lot of things. But at the end of the day, the very thing that you have in your hand, Jesus Christ gave you so that you would not have to wander 40 years. So that you wouldn't have to go through the same experience Israel did. That you could have the word of God and you could rely on it and trust it. That you could remember it and and hold it so dear. 
because it will give you instruction. It will give you direction. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises that. But you got to go to the word of God. you gotta, you got to turn around and, and yield and surrender and submit yourself to the word. That's, that's the uh, sin of idolatry, quite honestly, is when we put anything between our souls and God. And that's exactly what happens with Israel. And it doesn't take long, by the way. It won't take long. Some 10 years or less after going into the promised land. This is what they've been waiting their whole lives for, 400 plus years for that promise. Even longer that if you go back to Abraham. I'm talking about when they were in slavery 400 plus years. to, But even longer than that. They're finally in the promised land, or they will be in three days. And what? And they have this moment where they... They're doing well. Everything you say, Joshua, we're going to do. That's how they're going to end, you know, chapter. Everything you say, Joshua, we're going to do. And it won't take long. So they begin to do what's right, what they think is right in their eyes. And it it happens to me, doesn't it? It happens to all of us here, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It does. It's okay. Let's be honest about it. It's not okay, but it's okay that we're honest about it and transparent. What we need to do is we need to turn back to the Word of God. If this country would turn back to Jesus and the Word of God, if the schools would open up the Word of God and teach the children, we wouldn't have to have a Calvary Chapel Christian Academy. We're doing that because there's a void. There's such a void in the days we're living where the Word of God is being taught in. So simple and precious for these little ones because they are God's children. We we are living in such a time where we need truth. We need the word of God and we need our little people, our young people to know these things. And we were commanded to do it. It's not acceptable. It's just not. It's not acceptable. And as adults, we need it too. We need it. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures. Are the Scriptures comfort for you? The scriptures are comfort me. Through, through the patience and comfort, you might have what? Hope. And that word in the Greek, you know what that means? Confidence. It's not like I hope, you know, I hope for something, right? For, you know, ziti or something. Big ziti would mash, you know, meatballs or something. It's not that kind of hope, right? Managoth or something. No, it's, it's talking about real hope, confidence. Does, that, does everybody here have confidence tonight in the word of God? Do you have confidence that Jesus Christ who began the good work in you is going to finish that work? Do you have confidence that he holds your very life in existence and that you, if you are a son or daughter, are invincible when you're in the will of God until such a time that he's done with the work that he has set forth for you? And then he's going to bring you home. It's wonderful. I don't want anything else. I'm not looking for a a sideshow party. I'm not looking for a wide, wide way of entertainment. I want Jesus. I want more of Jesus. Because my word tells me he's my beloved and I'm his. It's the scriptures that remind me who I am and my hope. 
Look at 2 Timothy 3.16 and 3.17, one of the first scriptures you probably memorized when you were you know, saved, right? All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for the reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirits and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Can you discern the thoughts or the intents of the heart without the word of God and the Holy Spirit? I can't. I can't. So when we go back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, and he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, you but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all is written in it, for then you will make your for then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. And you know what, friends? So will we. So will we. If we allow the word of God to be preeminent and Jesus Christ preeminent in our lives. Have I not commanded you, Joshua? Put your name there. Have I not commanded you, Tim, Steve, you know, Johnny, Karen, Matthew, you know? Put your name in there. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you whatever you go. Can, can I take a moment of your time to tell you something, a very personal account in our lives and how this word spoke to us? My wife and I, some of you know, back in 2013, I believe it was, our son was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. I think some of you know that, uh, Preston. And when we received the diagnosis, we were at the hospital that day. He had a, an abscess and it had to have some surgery to correct some things. And we were at the hospital and the, the surgeon came out and brought us into one of those rooms where they sit you down, and he looked at us, and uh, she's looked at us, and my wife, and said, he has to go on a Remicade and for the children, and it's a, an injection they get every eight weeks or four to eight weeks like that. And she proceeded to tell us there are risks that the third of the children that get it will die from what's called T lymphoma. And um, I remember we just were shocked. We, did, we knew Crohn's was bad, but we didn't know what could really happen if you didn't get treatment or what, you know. And we were just, uh, you know, we didn't know what to expect at that moment. We just didn't know what to expect. Uh, and we were told we had to make a decision within like a week. They really wanted a decision right then and there. And I remember Lisa says, I don't have peace with this. I don't have peace with any of this. And the doctor could see it on Lisa's face that she was broken in a rack, you know, barely able to just breathe. And we're walking out and we're going to our car. Preston's coming out of anesthesia and he's going through that. And so, you know, you sit by and then we're getting ready to put him in the car. And this woman comes up and gives us an envelope, gives Lisa an envelope, actually, if I remember correctly. And we get in the car and we're beginning to drive back to our, our home. And I can remember just thinking at that moment, we had been praying, God, you know, this isn't the plan. And, you know, the Lord had spoken to me so clearly. I was in the shower. He said, it's going to be okay. And I remember driving, and I, I really hadn't said this to Lisa at the moment, but I kept thinking in my mind, Lord, this is not okay. 
This is not okay. You said it was going to be okay. I trust you, but this is not okay. And I remember Lisa, you know, too, getting confirmation. Things were going to be okay, but maybe not the way we thought they were going to be okay. And he had a very, very severe case of it. So she, I said to her, there was an envelope. I said, why don't you open that envelope? I thought maybe, you know, this is back before they didn't digitally send your prescription to the pharmacies like they do today. This is when they wrote it on the paper and you had to bring it because they gave him a list of things he had to take, pain, I mean, all kinds of things. And I thought that's what that was. And she opens it and it's this passage. It was this very passage. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I thought at that moment, Lord, you have just spoken so magnificently in our lives. What I didn't know is some six months later, well, praise God, God brought us to this Jewish doctor down in New York City area, who when he looked at our son said, Crohn's, we can heal Crohn's. And I looked at him, I said, what? I said, we had Harvard doctors look at him. We've had doctors all across the country weigh in on his case. I used to work for Microsoft. Some of you know that I had a, a Microsoft had a plan with something called Best Doctors. And so I was able for my child to have anything. They took care of it all for our family. Could have gone anywhere, seen anyone, and they paid for everything. And so I had the best doctors in the world look at Preston's case. And they all said the same thing. No, this is severe. You need to do this. We drive down to this gentleman. We, we sit in front of him. He pulls down an X, not an X, a chart of the abdomen. And he says, do you know what that is? And I said, a belly? And, and he says, that's your abdomen. That's, that's your immune system. 70% of your immune system is in your gut. And I went, okay. He says, a microbiome. And he starts talking about all these things. And, I, and I'm sort of hearing it, but I'm still just, to even to get in with this guy, you know? People in the waiting room were speaking French. They had just flown for France to be there. I mean, <laughs> and he looks at Preston. And, and as he's doing that, he pulls the thing up, you know, rolls up. And he goes, and you tell me there's not a God. And I thought, that's my line. <laughs> and... I just at that moment, I remember looking at my wife and my wife began to cry and I began to cry because we saw God's hand every step. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if you're going to heal him, I will let everybody know that I meet, that my God's hand isn't slack. My God's hand's never slack. He turned around and he said, you know what? We're going to give him supplements, some natural things. Um go get his blood checked, do all the normal stuff. Within three months, our son's markers went back to normal. Within a year, because you have to follow up, within a year, an MRI was done. It came back normal. They said you would never known this child had Crohn's or perianal Crohn's, the kind he had that goes through. And he did have a fistula, so it was a little more complicated. The doc he was on, he said, fistulas, that's tough when the organs start to connect. He said, but the Crohn's, he says, we can take care of the Crohn's. He says, don't you know that's a Jewish disease that started with Orthodox, uh, no, it was not Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodox Jews? And I said, I did not know that. And he said, that's where Crohn's disease started. 
This man had Crohn's disease himself, and he used himself as a guinea pig. He's 83 years old now. We go see him again in January. We're six or so years, maybe longer. Yeah, he's 16. I think he was nine or 10. So we're about six, seven years. All of his markers, praise the Lord Jesus Christ, have been normal. Yes, praise Jesus. I, I share this with you because we also went back to the doctors because there was a child that just died at the hospital we were at with Crohn's disease. I said, don't you want to know what we're doing that saved our son? Don't you care? You're telling people that diet doesn't matter. You're telling people that they can do whatever they want and they need these biologics. And there are a time where biologics may be needed, but you're, don't you want to know? Well, his case may be very unique and we're not sure it would benefit everyone else. And we just, we just have told as many people, when people say they have Crohn's, we just tell, please go see Dr. Melvin Grovit. And, you know, and, and, you know, he's down in, you know. God answered our prayer and God is always right. He said it would be okay, just not the way we would have understood. And this is the passage. Now, why this became even more significant is about six months after that, the Lord was calling me to come down here. And the first reaction, put yourselves in the situation. God is calling you out. My mother just was diagnosed with lung cancer. Some of you knew that at that time. And so mom comes up and says, you got to go. Jesus comes first. No, mom, I got to stay for you. No, 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 no. You go and serve the Lord. I'm not going to say it again. Kind of like I've spoken. An Italian mom, you just go with it, right? That you get the spoon. Okay, how old you are. So you just, you go with it, right? And that was it. She's like, you go. I remember she was at the front door. She never came to the front door. That time she was at the front door. She always comes to the side. And I remember she said that. And shortly after that, Lisa and I were together. And I remember, you know, in true transparency, we said, how's this going to work? Our doctors are all back here. Everybody we know, things are just, we're just starting to get. We just, at that point, we we're only three to six months in it. We just started to see the markers. And in October 2014, I dated in my Bible I remember going back through this and saying, Lisa, we can go anywhere. We can do anything because Jesus Christ is always with us. It's not dependent on where we live, what we do, or how it works. We could go to Africa right now. We can go to Asia. We can come to Harrisburg. We can go to the West Shore. It doesn't matter. God will be with us. Something was going on with Joshua. He needed to know this. Joshua needed to hear this. He needed that reassurance. It was going to be okay. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions. That word means stuff and food, right? Wait a minute. For 40 years, can you imagine them hearing this? For 40 years, what were they used to? They kind of went out of the house in the morning, scrape up some manna, manna a la king, manna, you know, manna souffle, manna whatever, however they were making manna, manna for manna, right? But no more. God was no longer going to feed them that way. God was no longer going to provide that way. It was no longer going to be the quail every day. It was no longer going to be the manna. It was going to be the provisions. He says, you tell them to prepare. Can you imagine that would have probably been like, what? What do you mean? We're going into a new land and you're taking away our food, man? 
We got used to this delivery service. He says, for you, within three days, you will cross over the Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke saying, do you remember why? Because Numbers 32, you remember what happened in Numbers 32? They turned around and said, you know what? We really like this. We'd rather have the wealth than life. We choose wealth over life. We know that God has said it's, you know, this promised land is great, but we see what's before us right now in this east, you know, part of the Jordan. It looks great. It, we, we will settle for all of the prosperity here rather than the very best of what God has for us over there. Cheating their families out of the miracles, their wives, their children, out of everything that, he, I mean, the, the falling of the wall by just walking around it and blowing a trumpet. The kids never got to see that. This, this, this family, look, think about all the families, right? The Reubenites, the Gadnites, and half the tribe. Go back and look at how many thousands, 200 and something thousand people we're talking about that missed this, that missed God's very best because they thought they were going to hold on to when it was safe. What do I mean they missed it? Because the wives and the children were going to do what? Stay back home. Remember that? They weren't going to cross over. Only the men, 20 and, and above. Later on, when we get to chapter 4, Joshua, we'll get even more specific with the number. We'll find out that even some of the men stayed back to watch and protect the women on that side of the Jordan. But it's not till, uh, not till Joshua chapter 4 that we learn that. So he says to them, he, Joshua goes, but hey, look, you remember the agreement Moses made with you and what he said to you? That you, 20 and older, you're going to come out and fight, and after that's all done, then you're going to return back. That was the agreement. And they all said, yep, yep, that's what we're going to do. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed. All your mighty men of valor. See, that's the key right there. Underline that. When you look at the difference, all your mighty men of valor. Think of that as your special forces. Chapter 4 will explain that. It's not all the men. Your men of valor. A subset of the entire total. It's not a contradiction in Scripture. It's not like when we go back and read Numbers or we look at the amount of men. There's no error or mistake. It's the men of valor and help them. Until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he's given you or as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do. And whatever you send us, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses." Ah, oh, this must have been beautiful. Beautiful for Joshua to have that reassurance, to have, you know, that building up, right? Building up, stirring up, right? Comfort. Do you do that for each other? Do you do that for your pastors and elders? Do you do, you do that? They, they need that. The pastors and elders, they need that. They need that encouragement. Do you do that for your brothers and sisters here? They need that encouragement. Even if they don't say something with their lips, please know the hearts of, I, I, 
I hear a lot of conversations here because for counseling and different things that go on in the office, we, there's so much brokenness going on right now. There's so many people hurting in this fellowship with so many different things, whether it's illnesses or family members they're caring for or different things going on. And there's so much prayer that is needed here. So much prayer for this flock. Please encourage each other. Come in here and encourage and be encouraged. <coughs> Whoever rebels against your command. Now, man, this is heavy. They said this, right? Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. <laughs> Only be strong and of good courage. That's pretty sobering, right? I, I don't think uh, Joshua was like, Okay, I mean, you know, that's not what I was thinking. You know, how about I was talking to? But uh, if this is the severity of it, okay. You know, aren't you glad we got a better covenant? Well, we'll stop there tonight. Uh, you Please read ahead. I, I don't, you know, we just talked about the Word of God here today. I, I don't know. I'm, I want to ask you all, and look, please don't raise your hand. I don't, I don't, we don't need to know and nobody else. But I want you to, I want to ask this to your hearts and to your minds if you think this tonight. Part of the reading of the Word of God that we do every week here on Wednesdays and Sundays is a time for us all to come together and have a corporate reading of the Word to allow it to wash our minds, our hearts, and renew us and build us up. Amen? We all understand that. But you also have a beautiful opportunity and responsibility to read ahead. So that way, as you come in, maybe there's things that God already starts to work in your heart on this chapter, maybe chapter 1 as an example, and you had read ahead, and maybe God was showing you things and, di and different accounts and something that God was making it very personable for you, very real for you. And then you come in, and maybe we go over things, and you're like, wow, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit gave me on that. And what do you think that does in that moment? It confirms for you you're doing what? You're walking in the Spirit, and you're walking in the will of God. Don't rob yourselves. Just like the, the, the Reubenites and, and, and the half-tribe, they robbed themselves by not letting God, by not trusting in God and going over and witnessing God's very best. They robbed themselves. Don't you do that. Read ahead. We're going to be in chapter 2 for next week. We're going to be in Rahab. Did you, did you ever wonder why it was three days they delayed? Why it was three days before they didn't just, why couldn't they just get their possessions and go over right away? Why was it three days? It was for her. It was for her. It was for a prostitute. It was for, it was for a woman that everybody else would have written off. But that woman saw something of God in what he was doing and how he was moving through the land. And all the things that he, he, he had heard, she's going to say, I've heard of your God of Israel. And because of that, she's going to turn and she's going she's to do what? She's going to protect God's chosen, and God's going to turn around and say, put this up, or, you know, the people are going to say, and they're going to honor that, and her life will be saved. She is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. And she was the great, great grandmother of who? David, right? God delayed three days for her because nobody in God's eyes is too small. Nobody's insignificant. Every single soul matters to the Lord. Every person matters. 
And God will delay and he will hit the pause button and he will allow long suffering so that every soul has an opportunity to choose God and submit and surrender and receive the love and the salvation of the living God. And if you're here tonight and you have not asked God to be your Lord and Savior, and you're wondering why all the evil's waxing on, it's because you're not saved yet. Get saved so we can get out of here. That's the answer, right? But the, but the, real, the real point is because God is long-suffering. And he so loves you that he is willing to allow all of us to continue on in hardship, in tired, so we're tired, aren't we? We're tired people. We want more rest. We don't need more rest. We really don't. Rest isn't gonna solve our problems. Do you know what's gonna help us? To be actively engaged in the battle and allow God's supernatural spirit to carry us and cover us. And then we give the glory to God because he's going to give us that supernatural powering. And he desires to do it. If you'll receive it today, it's a blessing he wants to give everyone. And he says he's already given it. Did you know that? Ephesians? We're over time. Look at Ephesians 3. 1-3. This is beautiful. Look at Ephesians 1-3. Beautiful. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, past tense, done, completed us with every, not some, every single spiritual blessing. Do you see that? In the heavenly places, in Jesus Christ, or in Christ, in our Savior. What is he saying? He's saying, I gave you everything you already need. It was given to you by my son and in my son. And you have a victory that you may not have even walked in yet, not realizing the glory of God and the working he's done through you and that you don't have to be dismayed. You don't have to be afraid by what you see. But walk in it and watch God bless you just as he's going to do with Joshua. Steps of faith. And maybe that's for somebody here tonight that's wondering, what do I take? Do I take that next step? I'm a little nervous. Are you sure, Lord? I don't know. Well, I can't tell you what to do, but Jesus, he is faithful. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Our study in the book of Joshua, we're going to have a... Invite your friends. Bring, bring your friends out. Bring your family. Invite your friends on Sundays that join us Come midweek study. This is a beautiful book for us to go through. We are going to walk out of here week after week with heads lifted high, full, encouraged, and being able to see all that God wants to do, will do, and is already doing. Father, we yield to you right now in your name, Jesus Christ, all of your power, all of your blessings, Lord, to think about the fact that you will stop time. We will see it in this book. You will stop time, Lord. You will make walls fall, God, by your very spoken word. You told them to do it. They'll walk around it. And by the sound of a horn, they'll have God, what can't you do? 
Lord, we are living in desperate times. We are living in times where people have begun, Lord, to do exactly what we read in your word in the Old Testament by following uh, after evil and seeking after no good. And just, Lord God, we need a fresh anointing. We need a fresh filling and a fresh moving of your Holy Spirit. God, aliven and awaken the body of Christ, Lord. Awaken the church, Jesus. For such a day as this, we are living in the last days, God, as you've told us. For such a day as this, we have your word, we have your blessings, we have your victory. And God, there is nothing we can't do. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. And God, we want to be followers. We want to be servants. So God, please equip us for the battle ahead. Refresh us that there would be nobody tired here tonight, that as we would go home, we would sleep, we would wake up, and we would feel better than we ever have before, Lord. That we would be able to be intentional, Lord, as we celebrate your birth, Lord, this month, as we look to you, our blessing, God with us, and as we enter into this new book, In a Promised Land, where everything was set before the children with all hope and courage, God, I pray that you will do that work in each and every one of our lives, that you will begin a new season in our hearts, in our minds, a chapter in our life that will not be like the last chapter, but Lord, will be far better, that the best is yet to come in us, Lord, because Jesus, you live in us, and we anxiously await your coming. We pray in your spirit. We pray according to your will. We pray for protection. We pray for that peace, Lord, that you give us that surpasses understanding. We pray for our loved ones. We pray for the prodigals. We pray for family members, Lord, that haven't been walking with you. We pray for those that don't know you yet, Jesus, that you would use us, that you would be known, and that they would love you, Lord, and that they would live after you according to your example. Will you do this work, Lord, not in just our church here, but in our community, Lord, in our city, Lord, on the eastern hemisphere here of this country, of this world, on the western, Lord, through the whole world, God. May your light shine so bright there wouldn't be a single soul that could miss it. We pray and ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Make us those lights that illuminate. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. See you on Sunday, and ladies, don't forget, Saturday we'll see you.